Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. So God, may our praises rise up to you today. And would you be pleased with the songs that we sing, with the words that are in our hearts. God, would you be honored in the fellowship that we have with each other this morning. God, we just want to pray now as we open your word together. Uh, Would you speak to us? Would you give us new insight into who you are and who you want us to be? Would you challenge us, shape us, mold us to become more like you? Give us ears to listen. God, give us a heart for understanding now. We surrender this time to you. Pray that you'd use it. God, thanks for showing up this morning. Thanks for being here in our midst as we worship. What a privilege it is to get to enter into your presence together. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, we are still walking through the Sermon on the Mount here uh, in our series called Details, How Jesus Wants Us to Live. We're spending these days verse by verse through Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Because God in his kindness has given us in these scriptures some specific details for how Christ wants us to express ourselves as disciples on a daily basis. How we handle the ups of life, how we handle the down times of life, how we handle our appetites, how we handle our resources and wealth, how we handle our relationship to God through prayer, and how we handle our relationships with friends, relationships with enemies, how we handle our life in the world with the poor people around us. All of those details are coming through in the Sermon on the Mount. So today we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. And just to remind you what's going on here, Jesus is sitting down on some rocks on the side of the mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and those who believe in him have gathered around to listen and this isn't just the, the, the 11 or 12 disciples you may be thinking of. This is also the people who just have said, he really is who he says he is, and wherever he's going, I'm with him. I want to listen. I want to learn. I belong to him. I am his disciple. I am a follower of this Jesus. And they've come along. So it's a crowd of people. There were likely also in the crowd some skeptics. Some other people listening and following along to try to catch Jesus saying something that would go against what was tradition, trying to catch him in some sort of a trap. So this was the scene happening here. And we've gone through the Beatitudes, all the blesseds, and all of the stretching words of when this is happening in your life, here's the way you should respond. And we we all together had those moments as we went verse by verse through them. I can't. Oh my goodness, that's such a high call for discipleship. It's such high expectations. And we realize that's where God wants us. If we're in a position of I can't, then we're ready to say, you can. And humbly dependent on our God. We got through the last couple of Sundays with Jesus telling us that we are the salt of the earth. So we are to be salty and make an impact and have influence. And we were told last Sunday, we are the light of the world. So we are to go and carry light to dark places. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 5. Immediately after saying salt and light, Jesus says, Now do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to 
fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to walk through this passage together today and try to understand some of the things that Jesus is saying. You'll notice in verse 17, he says, I have not come to abolish or to destroy or to tear down or to to render ineffective the law and the prophets. What's Jesus talking about in the law and the prophets? The law was basically thought of as the first five books of the Bible. It's referred to as the Pentateuch. Uh, the first five books, that's where all of the commands and the instructions for how we are to relate to God, this is what was all kept up in those things. The first five books of the Bible plus the words of the prophets. And some of you may be uh, new to church or have maybe not rem- remembered this, but a prophet is someone who was representing God to the people. He was God's messenger to the people. He was often referred to as the man of God, the the messenger of God would come and he would say these words. He would say it like this, thus says the Lord. He would speak on behalf of God. So all the books of the law, those first five books, the words of the prophets, and certainly Jesus was not excluding what we call the wisdom literature of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and all of those kind of things. He was basically saying all of the Old Testament scriptures that you've got, they still count. I did not come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill the Old Testament. The word disappear is used twice in verse 18. Look at it in your your scripture. In verse 18, the word disappear is there. He says, until heaven and earth disappear, which is a little bit sobering. Heaven and earth are going to disappear at some point. I don't mean like, zap, they're gone and you're floating in space. But I mean, God will put a period at the end of history's sentence, and he will bring a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be with him forever. But until that happens, he says none of the commands should disappear. He is reinforcing over and over again, I am not anti-law. If you're thinking, some Pharisees and people who are skeptics, if you're thinking I'm coming here bringing in newfangled ideas, hey, you're salt, you're light, here's how you should handle it if you're poor in spirit, here's how you should handle it if you're persecuted. I'm not bringing anything new, I'm not abolishing the law, I'm fulfilling the law. He's saying until heaven and earth disappear, none of these commands will disappear. They mattered then, they matter now, and they're going to continue to matter until Jesus comes. Be careful that you don't slip into thinking some very unbiblical thoughts, one of them being that there are two gods. There's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. That's not true. There is one God over all who has expressed himself to the world, and he has declared how he wants to be glorified through relationships with his people 
And some of those in our collection of writings we call the Old Testament, and some of those in our collections of writings and revelations that we call the New Testament. But there is one true God over it all. But let's also think, be careful, be careful, don't slip into this idea that when Jesus came, he, we can get rid of the Old Testament now. Oh, that was then, but this is now. Jesus is very clearly saying to you and to me as we are looking in his eyes, as he's teaching us there on the mountainside over the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is clearly saying the stuff of the Old Testament still matters. And he's even going to unpack that further and further. Verse 19, look at the phrase there, those who practice and teach, practice and teach, practice and teach. A lot of us are really strong on the teaching of what we should do and the teaching of the commands. But we need to remember that God has an expectation of practice. God has an expectation for how you live every day of your life, for how I live, every day of my life. And the expectation is, is the, that we are living in obedience to the commands of God, that we are practicing these things. So friends, if you think about the Ten Commandments, they are not old-fashioned. They are not rendered ineffective by the cross. They have not been ruled out or wiped out or canceled out by the cross. The Ten Commandments still matter to God. And he wants you to live out your life in obedience to him. He wants us to teach them. He wants us to practice them. You and I are still responsible for keeping the Ten Commandments. You and I are still accountable to the Ten Commandments and to the ways of God. For helping us to understand some pretty thick theological material today in this passage, I want to speak in two kind of headings. And the first heading is, is the idea of fulfillment. Jesus makes a big statement there. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. What does Jesus mean by fulfillment? Well, let me give you three uh, sort of ideas of what fulfillment means. Um, first of all, letter A, to, fulfillment is to kindly take care of or to pay off what is lacking. To kindly take care of or to pay off what is lacking. Uh, Christmas time is just around the corner, and uh, maybe you've heard across the years, if you're younger, you may not have, uh, maybe you're old, if you're a little bit older, you've heard these stories before, where people would go to stores like Walmart, and if they were struggling financially, they might put some toys on layaway. You guys know that term, layaway? Uh, layaway is when you go to Walmart and say, um, this toy that my kid wants uh, desperately costs $100, and I don't have $100, but I got $40, and I'll give you $40, and then for the next five weeks or so, I'll keep bringing you more money until I've got this paid off. And then when I've fully paid it off, then I can have it. Then you'll give me the toy. But I'm coming. I'm bringing it. I'm putting a deposit down on it. I'm going to keep paying on it. That layaway idea, there are these stories, you may have heard them, where there are these wonderful, generous people who will go around to stores like Walmart, and they'll go to the layaway department and say, I want to anonymously pay off some people's layaway items. Isn't that cool? 
They'll just go into the store and, and, and say, uh, this person and this person and this person want to pay off all of their layaway stuff. So when that person shows up at the next week to put a little bit more money down on the toy, they find out that somebody has already fulfilled what was lacking. So when Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, I haven't come to say the law and the prophets don't count anymore, I have come to fulfill them. I have come, and and I've got this to show you, it is so kind of God to have given us the system of the law. Let me give you a refresher course. You sin, you do some stuff to get right with God, repeat. You sin, You can sacrifice an animal at a certain place, in a certain way, in a certain manner, uh, for a certain reason, and when you do that, the blood of that sacrifice spilling over the altar will be counted as payment for your guilt, and then you will be declared righteous. But then you're going to sin again, so you're going to have to repeat, and you're going to have to bring another sacrifice. It is kind of God, very kind of God, very generous of God. To give us a way to be made right with him. He gave us the system of sacrifices. And it was gory. And it was smelled awful. And there was blood and smoke and fire. And the sound of animals being slaughtered. It was a gross and horrible system. And you ought to read the book of Leviticus sometime. And be reminded that it was bloody and gruesome. And let that sink down in your soul that said that's how ugly sin is. That it required a bloody, gruesome, noisy, smelly, awful system to make it right. God gave us the system and then we would just have to keep repeating and have to keep repeating and have to keep repeating and have to keep repeating because we keep sinning. I keep sinning. Anybody else keep sinning? Anybody really good at sin? I'm, I'm pretty, I have a lot of practice. I'm really, really good at it. The system, we keep sinning. We're made right with God. Animal sacrifice, sin, repeat, sin, repeat. What Jesus is saying, I have not come to abolish this. I've come to finish this. I have come to fulfill it. Have that picture in mind when you see those words that Jesus said, I have come to finish this out. Paul says he is the once for all sacrifice for sin. There is no more need for animal sacrifices. And aren't you glad? Because Jesus gave himself as the final ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And maybe you haven't thought of the cross in that way before. But the cross is not simply a Roman method of execution. God took this up as an altar. And the blood of the lamb was spilled over this altar. And it was noisy. And it was ugly. And it was gruesome. And it was terrible. And that beautiful sacrifice of Jesus paid for the guilt of your sin and for my sin. And if we believe in Jesus, then by faith in him, we can be forgiven of all of our sins. I did not come to abolish the system. I came to finish the system. So the first thing to understand about fulfillment is it's a filling up what is lacking. 
Letter B, the second thing is to bring to completion, to fulfill prophecy. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to bring it to completion. There are all these references to Jesus, all these references to the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, all the places throughout the Old Testament. Jesus didn't just show up for the first time in the, in the, in the manger as the first idea. There has been a long wait for Jesus, and he's all through the Old Testament. Jesus came not to abolish those things, but to be the fulfillment of what was waited for, to be the answer for the longing. We're going to sing the song at Christmas. Long lay the world in sin and darkness, pining, longing, waiting, till he appeared. He has come to fulfill let us see the last one about fulfillment. Fulfillment is to take righteousness to the next level. So when someone sinned under the system of the law and they performed a sacrifice for the guilt of that sin, and the blood was spilled and the animal was killed and the smoke rose up, that was accepted by God as payment for their sin and in that moment, they were made righteous. They were made acceptable to God. They were made right with God. But Jesus came to take righteousness to the next level because what had happened over the, the, the years is that teachers in the system of the law had taken these beautiful 10 powerful things. They'd taken these, these incredibly helpful systematic things to help people be made right with God and they had added to them with all sorts of man-made rules. The Bible is clear that you and I are to have no other gods before him. That we are not to make any idols that we're to keep the Sabbath day, that we're to honor our father and mother, that we're not to, to kill or commit adultery or covet, all those things to, to bear false witness or to lie. Those are the clear things. But over time, there were hundreds of rules added, but they were man-made rules. And Jesus came to take things to the next level. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But uh, the next part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to get to right after Christmas time, that next part, we're going to learn that Jesus says, you were told not to commit adultery, and that's good, but I'm going to take it to the next level. Don't even have lust in your heart toward a woman. See, it's not just the fact that I've technically not committed adultery, but you've been lusting like crazy. That's not true righteousness. That's religion. And Jesus came to take righteousness to the next level. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. So Jesus, in the idea of fulfillment, is bringing life to a dead system. He's bringing life to a dead system because, because the law was all about sin and the law was, was, was hopeless. The law, in effect, until Jesus fulfilled it, was like, I'll never get to stop having to go through these sacrifices. And every time I give a sacrifice, in some way, I'm kind of reminded, I'm going to be back here again someday. The law was hopeless. 
the law was momentary. I would be made right when the animal was sacrificed. The system of the law gave momentary righteousness. You could get clean and right with God until you needed to get clean and right with God again. Is that sinking in this morning? The system, as it were, enabled you to be made right with God after you sinned. But you knew you were going to be back there again very soon. It was hopeless. It never freed you from the grip of sin on your life. And it never made you right with God permanently. But Jesus has come to bring something different. Grace through Jesus gives us a different kind of righteousness. The system gave us momentary righteousness, but Jesus gives us positional and eternal righteousness. It's it's what we call imputed righteousness. You get the righteousness of Christ. As clean as Christ is, when you believe in Jesus, you become that clean. Some of you are struggling to absorb that this morning. The righteousness of Christ is your righteousness. Not because you've done anything to make it happen, but because Jesus made a way where there was no way. This is thick theology. This is heavy stuff that Jesus is is leading and teaching into But I want to give you a couple of illustrations this morning that will help you understand what this is talking about. The first one is about a a clean shirt. (laughs) Um, If you've ever been around um, an eighth grade boy who plays basketball, they can get really sweaty and really funky. Can you just think about all the layers of that word funk and all that that just means? Really gross. Just sweaty, stinky, funky. If you take that eighth grade boy, after he's played a few hours of pickup basketball games, and he is sweaty, stinky, funky, and everything he's wearing is sweaty, stinky, funky, if you just trade out his shirt and put on a clean white shirt on top of his filth, that's not being truly clean. What the system of the law did is it gave you a clean white shirt when you got funky. But you were going to get funky again. It gave you a clean white shirt, but you weren't permanently clean. It gave you a momentary righteousness with God until you needed it again. When Jesus came, he didn't just give you something temporary. He made you clean inside and out. Let me give you another illustration. If you go to concerts, there are an opportunity sometimes to get a backstage pass. And they look a little bit like this. This is our Hope Builder lanyard uh, that you'll see our Hope Builders uh, who are our volunteer teams here at People of Hope. You'll see them wearing this. And if you get a backstage pass at a concert, um, there are certain areas that you're able to go into because you're wearing a backstage pass. If you come and you want to go backstage, if you don't have one of these things on, you're not getting in there. But if you have one of these things, you can go backstage. But if you don't have one of these things, you're not getting anywhere. The system of the law would say 
You've sinned. You can't come in. Now you perform the sacrifice. Okay, you're clean. Take it off. Sorry, you've sinned. You can't come in. Wait, you've sacrificed. Now you've got a pass to come in. Wait, you've sinned? Take it off. You can't come in. It was a hopeless, dead system. But what Jesus did, he didn't give you a better backstage pass. Jesus made you part of the band. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus did not give you temporary access. He changed who you are so that you now permanently have the opportunity to be with God now and forever because when God looks at you, he sees you as one of his. The law was helpful, but Jesus has come to fulfill it and to bring life to a dead system. The repeat, the repeat, the repeat, on and off, the access, the righteousness, all of that, Jesus changed it forever. He did not just give you a set of credentials. He made you a part of the band with full access forever and ever. So what does it mean for us to practice righteousness? This is the second heading of the morning as we're wading through some thick teaching from Jesus. We talked about what fulfillment is, what Jesus was doing in fulfillment. Now let's talk about practicing righteousness. Let me give you a few things and then we'll wrap up. Letter A, living out your relationship with God should look like faithfulness, not religion. Living out your relationship with God on a daily basis as you go about your day, home, work, school, team, friends, family, loved ones, everywhere you go, everywhere you, you go, as you live out your relationship with God, it should look like faithfulness to the one you love, not religion. Because Jesus says, your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Your righteousness should be internal because you've believed in Jesus, not external. It should be internal and permanent, not external and temporary. The teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees, they would like to cling to technicalities. I mentioned that adultery earlier. I've never committed adultery. Jesus wants to say, but have you been lustful? Your righteousness doesn't need to exist on keeping a list of rules and technicalities. Your righteousness needs to exist in, am I honoring my father and being obedient as a disciple because I wanna go where he's going and live how he wants me to live. I wanna listen and obey. Don't miss the truth here that obedience still matters. Again, it's how we practice our relationship with God, living it out. Yes, you're saved by grace through faith. 
God has an attitude of undeserved kindness toward you. He sent his son Jesus for you. And if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, then he died and rose again for sin. And if you will follow him as his disciple, you will be saved. You will be clean. You'll have the promise of heaven. You'll be a part of the family of God. You'll be released from the grip of sin. You'll have the Holy Spirit in your life. All of those things are absolutely true and God still expects obedience from each and every one of us. God expects obedience from each and every one of us. Even though the law is fulfilled, God still expects us to obey the Old Testament. Even though the law is fulfilled, God still expects us to obey the Old Testament. Two more. Let us see. We do not keep the law to keep a relationship with God. We do not keep the law. We do not honor the Old Testament. We don't honor the Bible to keep a relationship with God because you and I did not work to gain a relationship with God. We cannot work to lose a relationship with God. Your life as a Christian is not about your ability to hold on to God. Your salvation is about his ability to hold on to you. And grace is what makes the relationship possible so that you and I who continue to sin, God does not cast us out because when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees you clean. And God's not just pretending. He didn't just put a white shirt on a funky person. God isn't just pretending. He made you righteous. He made you clean in your soul. You may say, well, I still sin a lot. I still, I still have some uncleanness to my flesh, to how I live and think and speak and the choices that I make. This is the challenge of how we live out our lives on a daily basis to help our outsides match our insides. We have the righteousness of Christ and God is calling us to live in the character of Christ, to live in the integrity of Christ, to live in the obedience of Christ. You need to work. I need to work in being obedient and practicing the Bible and obeying the Bible, but none of us need to work for our salvation. You cannot work to earn your salvation. In letter D, the only way to be permanently right with God and permanently clean is through repentance and faith in Jesus. It's the only way. So my question for some of us this morning is, have you believed in Jesus? Have you followed him as his disciple? Are you a Jesus follower? Are you a Christian? If you aren't a Christian yet, you need to follow Jesus. You need to go to him in what the Bible calls repentance and say, God, I have sinned and I am sorry for my sins and I want to believe in Jesus and I want to follow him with my life and I believe he is your son and I believe what he did on the cross really did pay for all of sin. So I'm not gonna try to earn your forgiveness. I'm simply going to receive forgiveness. If you haven't done that, you need to do that today, right now. 
put all this passage together here this morning. Jesus looks you in the eye and me in the eye, and he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. That left half of your Bible where the pages are still stuck together, that part still counts. Those 10 commandments, particularly, those still really matter. I haven't come to do away with those. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to be the embodiment, the expression of all that the law was was insufficient in doing. I have come to fill it up all the way. And I'm not making you temporarily clean. I'm making you permanently clean. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfillment, to fulfill them. And listen, he says, it's it's really important until heaven and earth pass away. Not one little seraph on the side of the font. That's actually what the, 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 the literal language term there is. Not one iota. Not one little pin stroke needs to go away from those things. All of them still matter. And so you and I should be careful to not just teach them, but to practice them. Because if you do that, then you will be great in the kingdom. But the one who says they don't matter anymore and teaches other people to do accordingly... That person will be least in the kingdom. It closes all that out to say righteousness matters. And how you find your righteousness doesn't need to be in following lists like the Pharisees and just on technicalities. Your righteousness needs to surpass that. Here in Thanksgiving week, I want to invite you to be really thankful that Jesus came to finish a system that was dead. To be really thankful that God gave Jesus to be the once for all final sacrifice. To be really thankful that God made a way for us to be free from the grip of sin. And that God made a way that you and I don't have to keep coming to him and asking for a relationship every time we sin. Every time you sin, if you're a believer in Jesus, you haven't broken your relationship with God and you need to to get saved again. That's not the Bible. Jesus said, let's not do the credentials thing anymore. You can come in, wait, you can't come in. You can come in, you can't come in. We're not doing that anymore. Believe in me, and you'll be clean. Believe in me, and you'll be righteous. You'll be acceptable to God. And you don't have to do religious things. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, God, that we no longer have to sacrifice and burn, kill. We thank you, God, that you gave your son Jesus to finish and complete that system. God, help us all this morning to recognize the 
unimaginable freedom that we have because of that. That we are safe and secure in your arms, that we are clean forever. And oh Lord, we we want to be obedient. Not because that'll keep us in our salvation or because that'll get us into heaven. Our hope for heaven's not in us, it's in Jesus. God, we want to be obedient because we love you and you've asked us to be. We want to honor you. Do what you say. We want to hear your commands in the Old Testament and the New. And we want to respond with a a yes, sir. Thank you, God, for freeing us from religion. Thank you for Jesus made a way where there was no way. Everybody would bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm wondering if there's somebody here today who realizes you need to believe in Jesus and become a Christian. That you've been trying to earn your way to being right with God and being clean with God. And if that's you this morning, would you right there where you sit, just say, God, I'm sorry I've sinned. I believe Jesus is your son and he died and rose again to pay for my sins. Forgive my sins and I want to follow you as your disciple. Make me clean from the inside out. If you pray that prayer in your heart and mean it, it's not the words that are important, it's what your heart wants and means. If you really believe that with faith in your heart, then right now you are forgiven and saved and clean and free and new.